So Mary didn't just deliver a baby that first Christmas, she delivered hope. And that's why our series this month is called Christmas Hope. Today it's called Hope When You're Impatient, Hope When You Are Impatient. And uh, my name is Talbot Davis, and I'm the pastor here at Good Shepherd Church. And some of you have, are connecting live at our campus in Charlotte, and others are connecting live stream. However you're connecting, I'm already always, always glad to be able to engage back with you. And for this message called Hope When You're Impatient... Uh, I want to invite you to, to open your Bible, to locate in your Bible the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and verses 5 through 17. Luke 1, verses 5 through 17. Maybe your Bible looks like mine and kind of looks like a book, or maybe your Bible's loaded on your phone, or maybe you don't have either one of those options and you're wondering if you're still welcome here. Well, you are. And we will project the words up on the screen exactly when they need to be projected up on the screen. And, and so whether you have your own or whether you'll be looking up on the screen, we value so much your own eyeball encounter with the scripture. Because at Good Shepherd Church, we love the scripture. We, we don't worship it, but we love it. And the reason we love it is because when we love the scripture, that helps us endure, adore the Savior. And we do worship him. And you may not have this uh, understanding of the Bible yet, and that's okay. We just like to be very clear about who we are and where we stand. And in leadership here at this church, we actually, we do believe that, that God breathed his life into the Bible's words. He put his truth onto its pages. The biblical library is, in fact, inspired and eternal and true. And because we believe that, when we talk about the Bible here, we do something a little bit out of the ordinary, we lift it up. And, and if you haven't, if you first time here or early on in your journey here, you're looking around and seeing phones and Bibles and you're just like, this is unusual. And, and we admit it, it is unusual. But there's something that we've discovered in this moment of unusualness that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people, and we don't all have life figured out. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. We don't have life figured out, but we know who does. And so we're glad to surrender to his authority as he has revealed it in his word. And, and after kind of declaring that about what we believe and where we stand with the Bible, one other thing we believe in here is, is prayer. Your seat was prayed over this morning. And I know that I can't give this message or any message without praying over it first, so let's pray. So Father, thank you for your, your good work in inspiring Luke to, to write us an orderly account of the life and times of Jesus. And, but thank you that you used a genius to put that account together. And thank you that the Holy Spirit who inspired Luke is still moving and and active in our midst, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would inspire everyone within the sound of my voice so that they would really know what it is that you're saying to the church today. And while you're at it, Lord, fill me with a brand new outpouring of what's good and right and joyful about you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, here uh, is something I have noticed, and, and, and maybe you've noticed it as well, but, 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 but here it is. In a world, 
in which no one would ever check an encyclopedia ever anymore because we've all got Google in our pocket. And in this era in which no one would ever go look at a map and write out directions to get where you're going because GPS will in fact give you turn-by-turn navigation to get you there. In this season where, I don't know if you know this or not, boomers in the house, you, you never have to sit through a bad song or fast forward through a bad song ever again because you never downloaded it in the first place. So in this kind of world, a world in which we are used to getting what we want it when we want it, we're not very good at waiting. Patience. Because everything is always available to us at our fingertips instantly. All the information in the history of the world is available to us. And because of that reality, patience is now no longer not a virtue. Patience is like a relic, an antique, a museum piece. Oh, isn't that quaint how, how people used to have to live? I mean, just think about all the ways that that because patience is now a relic, a museum piece, all the ways at which when when you don't get what you want it, when you want it, when you have to wait for anything, you really struggle with that, you wrestle with it. I mean, just think of all the areas even in your own life where, where waiting is so very difficult for you, like for the light to change. For the light at Highway 49 and Moss Road to change so you can turn, and it never does. For that girl you like to notice you. For that guy you like to answer your text. For the job you applied for to finally get back to you. For the compulsion owned your life to vanish for the marriage to heal for the virus to get gone for inflation to slow down and while we're at it for Jesus to come back Yeah, we are conditioned by technology. We are conditioned by culture to think that not now equals not ever. If I don't get it instantly, I'm not going to get it at all. Not now equals not ever. Old Tom Petty was right. You take it on faith and you take it from the heart. But the waiting really is the hardest. Can I hear an amen for Tom Petty? And... So in light of all that, in light of the struggles that we have with waiting, how how it does feel to us like it's the hardest part, Luke, the the author of the gospel of Luke, and and, and I I tell you all this, but maybe you haven't heard it before uh, because you weren't here yet, or I said it and you weren't really paying attention, but but the Bible, when, when God inspired the Bible, he didn't just dictate it. It's not like Luke without any of Luke's personality, just dictates the the Jesus story. No, God breathes life into Luke's words. And Luke, this, he's a journalist, he's a physician, he's a genius. 
And the way that he layers his story together, the story of Jesus is just so brilliant. And it's almost as if he teases us at the very beginning because Luke doesn't begin his story about Jesus. He doesn't begin with the main guy, Jesus. He doesn't even begin with the supporting guy, but he begins with the backstory to the backstory of the supporting guy. The supporting guy of whom I speak is John. Some of you know him as John the Baptist. And Luke's like, I'm not even gonna begin my story about Jesus by telling you about John the Baptist because you can't know about John the Baptist until you know something about his parents who I assume the tale of Mr. and Mrs. the Baptist. And we, we, we meet them we, we meet them in Luke chapter one and verse five. Look at what verse five says. Luke chapter one, verse five. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And this is the man who's gonna end up being the father of John the Baptist. His last name's really not the Baptist. <laughs> who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So, so Luke, at the very beginning to, to people for whom the waiting is the hardest power, part, people conditioned to think not now, I mean, not ever. He says, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna make you wait till you hear the, the main character about this, uh, of this story. You're gonna hear the backstory. And then in verses six and seven, Luke arrives at this, this remarkable, painful paradox Two things that are true about something that, that seem completely contradictory. Look what he says about uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So these are, these are not just good people. They are like super good people, blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were very old. Now, in the ancient mind, those two descriptors, blameless, childless, righteous, without a baby, that would have been completely inconceivable to the ancient mind. So Luke is already throwing them a curveball because in the ancient mind, children were so highly valued that if any couple went without children, that had to be a sign of divine punishment on their lives. And as difficult as going without children when you want children is in our day, it was exponentially more so in that day. Because if, in the ancient world, if you were found to be unable to conceive or to carry or to give birth to children, you lost all standing in your community. You lost all respect of your peers. You didn't have any security for your old age because if you happened to get old, who in the world was going to take care of you when you got older? So at every level, the childlessness of Zechariah and Elizabeth looks to be the result of the judgment of God. And you know all their neighbors were whispering, what have they done to deserve this? Because it must have been super bad. And, and you can just imagine Elizabeth there rocking an empty cradle, praying for the baby who never comes. And in her mind, not now equals not ever. And in, in her experience, the delay was the denial, was the devastation. And Luke continues to tell us their story. It turns out when 
when it says that Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, that meant that he was one of about 18,000 men in ancient Israel who by virtue of their family line, not because he went to the right school and not because he scored the right score on his standardized test and not because he heard a call from God just because of, uh, of the family that gave birth to him, that he had he, uh, one of 18,000 men who one time in their life, one time, they would get to serve as the priest in the temple in Jerusalem. So you see what Luke is doing? We have to wait to hear about Jesus and to hear about Jesus, before we hear about Jesus, we gotta hear about John. Before we hear about John, we gotta hear about Zechariah. And before we can hear about Zechariah, we gotta realize Zechariah spent his whole life, wait for it, waiting for his one turn in the temple. And when he gets his one turn in the temple, he goes behind sort of behind the, the inner circle, the, behind the curtain where the, where the regular people cannot see what's going on. And while he's back there, he lights some incense and he sacrifices a lamb. So he, he lights the incense candle and he takes a knife and he slaughters a lamb. And it, it sounds really smelly and bloody to me, like, no, no, thank you, but... To them, it was a big deal. To them, it was a great honor. And while Zechariah is having his once-in-a-lifetime turn in the temple, a crowd gathers around, and they are, again, wait for it, they are waiting for him to get done. Look at what it says in verse 10 of Luke chapter 1. And when the time came for the burning, when the time for the burning of the incense came, I've... I reverse those words at nine o'clock as well. When the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So they were waiting for Zechariah to get finished, except he takes forever. There's been a delay. And the reason he takes forever is explained to us in verses 11 through 13. Look what it says there. Well, then, and then means when Zechariah has lit the candle and getting ready to sacrifice the lamb, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And I'm like, you think? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Now, when, it, when, it, when the angel says that your prayer has been heard, that lets you know that the childlessness of Zechariah and Elizabeth wasn't as, as a result of, of, of their sinfulness or being blameless. They were praying for that baby. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and that, that prayer went unanswered and unanswered and unanswered. And some of you know exactly what that's like. Some of you prayed for that baby to come. Some of you prayed for that marriage to heal. And some of you prayed for that job to arrive. And so whether it was Zechariah and Elizabeth then, or whether it's you now, you know what it's like to be in this very painful season of waiting, this difficult time of a delay. And the angel to Zechariah keeps talking. And look at what he says in verse 14 about this baby that you are going to have. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Oh, 
the, the angel says, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, you all, you've been wanting a baby for you. You've wanted someone to cuddle. You've wanted some security in your old age. You've wanted a baby. And actually what Elizabeth is going to happen have will be so much more. He is going to have this pivotal role in bringing so many people back to faith. And it, and it turns out for Zechariah and Elizabeth that not now doesn't mean not ever. Not now instead means way, way different. But wait, wait, wait. See, I'm making you wait too. Wait, wait, wait. Because the, the word isn't simple and nor is it simplistic today because the angel keeps talking. It really culminates. The, the angel's speech culminates in verse 16. And look at what he says to Zechariah there. Talking still about John. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And oh my goodness, again, all that Zechariah and Elizabeth have wanted was a baby. They've wanted a baby for them. They've wanted a baby to hold. They've wanted a baby to cuddle. They've wanted the security in their old age. And the angel comes along and said, oh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, your dreams, your desires, your longings have been too small. You have underestimated God. You wanted a baby and he's gonna send you a prophet. And it turns out that not now doesn't mean not ever. It means way different. It means way more. And when we realize all the pain and all the waiting and all the agonizing that Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mr. and Mrs. the Baptist have done, and all that Luke wants to reveal to us, here's what I want you to know relates to your life, that God's delay is not his denial. It's his design to give you something better. God's delay is not his denial. It's, it is actually his design. God, get this, God engineers delay into your life and to my life, and we hate it. When he makes us wait, we hate it. But God knows that if he were to give us what we wanted, when we, if he were to give us instant gratification, then we would be people who are about that deep. God knows that he needs to do something in us and through us in that delay, in the frustration of that delay that makes us better and deeper and people of more substance than we would ever be without it. He, his delay is not his denial. It's his design to give you better, not, not easier, just different, not simpler, just a more substance. See, it's so, so much like what those of you who are parents and grandparents, you, you, you know, when, when, you're, when your kids want something and you give it to them real quick, it just always fills them with gratitude, doesn't it? It, it never makes them want the next thing more quickly, does it? Well, we're just like that. That if God were to give us what we want, when we want it, with no delay, there'd be no teaching time, there'd be no pruning time, there would be no maturing time. And God loves us too much to treat us that way. And so instead of making us the kind of people who think, well, not now equals not ever, he's like, no, 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 not now means here's so much more. His delay is not his denial. It's his design. To give you better. It's a little bit like that pastor up in New England who was in a 
a, a state of agitation where he's like pacing the room, you know, he's wringing his hands and he's pacing the room because he's so bothered. I know none of you are ever like this. You never get all, all anxious and all bothered. And so you're walking around the room and finally his friend noticed, well, hey, buddy, you keep pacing around the room. What, what's the deal? And the pastor answers, the problem is that I'm in a hurry and God's not. I'm in a hurry and God's not. I bet it's the same for you, that that you're in a hurry. You haven't learned to see the delay as God's time of maturing and growing and, and that what God will ultimately deliver will be so much better than what you wanted when you wanted it right then. Or it's like a, a Chinese bamboo tree, which if you get a Chinese bamboo tree and you plant it and water it in year one, nothing happens. And year two, you fertilize it and water it and nothing happens. And year three, more fertilizer and more water and more nothing. And in year four, same ditto, more water, more fertilizer, more nothing. And in year five, the Chinese bamboo tree grows 90 feet in six weeks. So did the Chinese bamboo tree grow 90 feet in six weeks or did it grow 90 feet in five years? And of course, it grew 90 feet in five years because all that tending and all that preparing was part of all the growth that ultimately came out. That's what it's like, good shepherd. And if you're in the middle of a very painful season of waiting for that compulsion to vanish, for that marriage to heal, for Jesus to come back, for the economy to get fixed, for whatever it is that you're waiting for, I don't want you to lose heart. I don't want you to think that not now equals not ever. I instead want you to grow in anticipation, realizing, ah, the longer that God is making me wait, the better the thing's going to be on the other side of it. Because his delay, it's not his denial. It is his design to give you better. Kind of makes me think of those people who come to see me on on occasion. And some of you have done this and make an appointment, come to my office and and they want me, just just pray for me, preacher, just pray for me. And usually the the prayers are for, for a compulsion to vanish or for a relationship predicament to get fixed. Or it's a prayer for a relationship predicament that was caused by the compulsion. You, you, you know, what, 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 one, one of those two. And, and in those situations, I will pray, but only after I remind the person that, that if it's a relational thing, I'm like, you, 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 this marriage didn't get in this crisis overnight, did it? And in the same way it didn't get into it overnight, it won't get out of it overnight either. And if it's a a compulsive kind of behavior, I I just let them know that recovery happened. Yeah, we're praying, but recovery does not happen in one giant leap. It happens in 12 massively small steps. That we keep praying for a breakthrough. God, heal me, deliver me, make me better now. And God starts a process. And when God starts the process and we begin to walk that process, the end result is so much better because instead of just mere sobriety, we have something deeper and more enduring, which is called serenity itself. His delay is not his denial. It's hardwired into the process to deliver you something much better. Where is it? 
Where is it for you that God wants you to know that this season of waiting, this, he's, he's enforcing patience into your impatient self. And where is he doing that to, to make you realize that on the other end, you'll be better? Is it, could it be that the relationship that you so want him to bring into your life would cause you to, to compromise your morals and your faith? Would it be that the job that you've been longing for would actually make you lose your family? Or could it be that, that there is this delay, that God has engineered a delay in your life because he has wanted you to become more persistent in prayer and that, and that the, the, we're waiting on this answer, we're waiting on this answer, I'm not answering the prayer because I want you to become a person who prays more even when the answers don't come? Or could it even be that financial windfall that you've wanted? That if it were to come into your life now, there's no way in the world you have the maturity to be able to handle it. I know that even in my case, there's been some really f f remarkable favor that's come in my life for the last eight years or 10 years, that if it had happened in my 30s and my 40s, I, I, no way I could have handled it. And God was so good to give me a season of frustration, like when's something good gonna happen? And then there's this overflow of good stuff happens. I'm like, ah, when you've matured me, disciplined me, molded me, made me, his delay is not his denial. It's designed to bring you something better. And I've, I've seen this, seen this lived out, young guy, dating a young girl and and young guy decides that he and the young girl don't really speak the same spiritual language. And so the young man decides to break up with a young woman and and because they're not speaking the same spiritual language. And and a couple of days later she sends him a card. This was in the days before text. And she sends him a card and the card actually quotes from Romans chapter eight and verse 25, which says this, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so the young man goes, huh, maybe me and this young woman, maybe we are speaking more of the same spiritual language than I thought we were speaking. And they did some conversation and some negotiation, ended up going, getting back together. And, and uh, earlier this year, we celebrated 38 years of being married, Julie and I did. And so I have, I, yeah, I, I, I believe this because I've lived it and benefited from it. It's delay. It's not his denial. It's his design for your good to give you something better on the other side of it. And Luke, remember I've told you about Luke? He's not just an author. He's not just a biographer. He is a genius, a savant at putting his story together and see what he's been doing throughout the whole opening words of the story. He's like, you gotta wait for Jesus. You gotta wait for John the Baptist. You even have to wait for Zechariah and Elizabeth. You have to wait, 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 wait. He engineers it into his whole story. And I'm like, God, how did you choose someone so smart to write your story? And God's like, cause I'm God and I know this stuff. But Luke is gonna deliver hope. And at the end of all that waiting, 
Mary doesn't just deliver a baby. Mary does deliver to us hope. And the baby in the manger, Luke tells us, the baby in the manger does become the Savior on the cross, who does become the resurrected King, who is now reigning in heaven and resurrecting me. All of that, all that Jesus, all the time that Luke points to and builds to. You know that phrase, how they say some things are worth the wait? Well, Jesus, it turns out, is the worthest of any weight you've ever had because his delay is not his desire, denial. It's his design to bring you not just something, but someone better, Jesus, only Jesus. Let's pray. So God, thank you. Thank you for the pain and the difficulty of waiting Thank you that you want to make us people not satisfied with sizzle, but dedicated to substance. Thank you for all of that. And I pray now, Lord, that you would send your your deepest blessings on this community as we celebrate Holy Communion. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.